This is the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Podcast series. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital. All righty, 18 minutes after the hour is 7 o'clock. Thank you so much to the wonderful folks out at Bermudez. Makers of Cricks, your vital supply. You can pick it up at, in fact, pick it up anywhere. Any grocery, shop, parlor, van, car. And just keep it with you, all right? Thank you so much to wonderful folks out at Bermudez. Uh, before I give you results for our morning poll, traffic-wise, I'll just not give you a traffic update. Where you're going to get traffic, including back roads, you will get traffic. Holy Maloney's, look at that. Maraval from the Pillars by Maracas heading straight down to a roundabout, including Long Circular Road. Wow, that's terrible. All right, let's get the results of our morning pool, uh, gentlemen. What we got so far? Let me just check to see if I have any more for you. Let's see, let's see. Do I have any more for you? Um, Ray out in West Palm Beach, Florida says yes. Right. That's the only one I got for you guys. Well, for our poll this morning, we had um, our poll words. Do you think Trinidad and Tobago is a violent country? Um, we had 20, 23 people voting on the poll this morning. And of the 23 people, 18 said yes. They think Trinidad and Tobago is a violent country. Five people said no. You know, I was just having a conversation with someone who was saying they don't, they didn't think the prime minister should say that. Why? Why not? It is what it is. If it is what it is, and well, it's sending a message that investors and visitors no. If it is, it is. Let's ask my chief deputy. Good morning, my chief deputy. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning to the Power One or Two family. Good morning, co-host. Tobago is a violent country, or becoming a violent country. You know, I I open I, I read the news this morning and I saw the story of the woman recording in progress. Thank you, Dorothy. Had her head, you know, she was she was violently beaten to death. And to think that these things are happening unchecked across the country, it gives the average citizen a real pause for what's taking place right now because we have the conditions that are lending to tensions across the country so i i would agree with the assessment however i would i would go further and say that we need to deal with the situation and confront it in the homes with the families the parents because that's where it starts it starts with the family as a unit also it also starts with law enforcement and interventions you know i i i beg to differ slightly on that take because i i know a lot of people say it and repeat it that it starts in the home and it starts with families. In a lot of people instances, they don't have families, eh? And they are violent. You know? So 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 unless we unless we broaden the perspective of what we say a family is, well, you maybe, For some maybe people, they're violent because they don't the have families, yet. they don't have that support, they don't have that training, they don't have that socialization. Maybe the family that they they thought they had uh, abandoned and maybe they have a, a dysfunctional family but everybody has a family it may not be a family they live with but everyone has a family yeah i i agree with that paul because when you consider that the people have grown up with a father figure or a maternal figure it, it the what they know in their adulthood and this aspect of how we urge people to heal it comes from that whether you grew up in foster care whether you grew up without any parents what you knew in your early years but no one grows up without any parents parents may not be biological parents but no one goes from being born to 10 years old without somebody in their life you're not wolves we don't grow up on the street foraging Hmm. (laughs) well yeah Foraging are kind of strong with this. Yeah, but but when when people say we have no one has a family, there's no child in Trinidad Tobago that I know that is born 
is put on the street or is left alone and grows up alone. Someone is in that child's life. It may not be right. a functional, productive family unit, but someone is influencing that child. Someone is raising that child. Someone right. is socializing and teaching that child. So there's no situation where that child is not being raised by somebody. It, not a, it may not be in a productive way, but no child grows up alone. Uh, so, so, that, so that is it fair to use the word environment informs how, 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 how you behave? That's not even a debate anymore. That's not even a debate. Environment in, impacts everyone's life. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, Wendell, mm -hmm. what you're talking about there is the nurture versus nature paradigm that how you grow someone up based on their inherent nature. And remember in Trinidad and Tobago, we have a, a, the old uh, moniker, which is uh, it takes a village to raise a child. And we have that. We have that. And, and maybe maybe that has been unraveling for some time. But the truth is that, yeah, the truth is that the family unit is not just mom and dad, but the uncles, the aunts, the neighbors, the community. And that is that is probably a sense of what we're losing here when we see the wayward parts that some of these children take into their adulthood. Mm. <clears throat> well, yeah, yeah. You see, so is it does it does it uh, does it well, also go to the you know does it also go to the discipline of the society as we're talking about it because um you know a lot of times we say we see there's a narrative that says trinidadians and tobagonians are indisciplined as a people etc etc you hear that narrative um um i don't know how, how much of a truism it is is that really true or not are we really that indisciplined or not because a lot of the times we shine the light on whatever indisciplined behavior has happened. But that's and of a good course, point, Richard, because when you think about it, if you take 100 citizens across different age groups, you'll find more than 95% or 96% are, are people who go about their lives, obey the law, are courteous. You understand? But of course, the media as medias do around the world, not exclusive to Trinidad and Tobago, will focus on two murders yesterday. They're not focusing on three children past the exams, <laughs> you understand? Or somebody yeah. having a across the street. So it has to be taken in that sort of context. And to, to the, back to the point of what happens to a person. Society has, any society has six or seven major socializing agents. Your parents, your family, your community, your religious organizations, your, your uh, youth groups and political girl guides, so it's, it's not science anymore. It is not a, a novel investigation as to what creates a productive human being. We're just not doing all we can do to, to remediate those who are, who are going astray, identifying them early enough. The education system, a big one I forgot there, remediate them enough at, at an early age, identify that they may be having problems and put systems in place to help them. We're just not doing that effectively. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we haven't really been focusing, as I think Richard pointed out, the successes that some families have and that some societies have. We haven't really been focusing on that and highlighting that enough. Look at the five of us here. Three out, four out of five ain't bad. Huh? <laughs> but you know, and you know, I'm getting, and we've been meandering to the conversation really for which we have Rajiv here. And the issue of you know um, food prices, etc., and the econ and the economic picture, but a lot of a lot of um, how the society functions today is that a lot of people are in a a lot of people are not very optimistic about the future, and um, because of what they've gone through and what the challenges that they face, and. And, and this takes uh, another conversation in how hopeful are the youth of Trinidad and Tobago um, in terms of the future of Trinidad and Tobago and your future in this space. And that's not a, that's not a, a discussion that I hear often. Um, I know we touch on it sometimes on the Power Breakfast Show, but we, we don't really discuss it in an involved manner. Um, we just touch on it. but. But a lot of the Gen Zers, the Gen Z population, I know a lot of them that I interface with, have no interest in staying in Trinidad and Tobago. They, a lot of them are just not seeing that the opportunities exist here anymore. 
and and but these may be Gen Zers who are academically inclined and can probably pursue opportunities extraneous to Trinidad and Tobago. But you have Gen Zers who, for all intents and purposes, will be here. And if some of those who don't who may not have those opportunities to go abroad, etc., or or seek out opportunities elsewhere, and if they are not hopeful, then what does that say for the future of the society and the optimism that drives any society forward? I don't know. That's a conversation that I suppose people more informed than me will have to uh, to have um, to have and discuss. If well, they it's see, relevant, if they it's see relevant the, to Rajiv, um, I, Richard, because and, and just to to, to stick with to, to Rajiv here, it's relevant to Rajiv because if you don't address that issue and opportunities and and the workforce and the dwindling middle class, business people are going to find themselves. In, a, in an environment where margins are going to diminish because people simply can't afford it. Would that be true, Rajiv? Yes, you're, you're very correct, Paul. And Richard, you raised so many pertinent, hot front burner issues this morning that really place a microscope on what the social situation is right now. Because when we consider that the brain drain that you're talking about is taking place, because we're seeing it, from within our sector, within the business community, within the, the up and coming graduate community, because I've recently engaged the University of the West Indies in a tertiary young leaders program to try to get the brightest and best, and not even the best, just get some of those business graduates that are going to be coming out of the social sciences faculty into the workplace straight away for internships and that kind of thing, because we want to capture that talent in the sector. And what we're seeing is that that talent is opting out of Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, you can look to Canada right now and you can get papers in eight months. They've been advertising very aggressively um, and people are pursuing exit strategies. So when we consider that that is taking place and that there are no more opportunities, when we look at the traditional professions, we look at law, we look at medicine, we look at accounting, we look at engineering. Uh, given what's taking place in the petrochemical sector, can we say there's a future for engineers? Can we say that um, are there too many lawyers in Trinidad and Tobago? I've been told so. Um, are doctors getting longer contracts? I've been hearing it's much shorter. Um, you know, So we have a very saturated workplace. And in that kind of environment, what is there for potential graduates to pursue, especially when the world, uh, the first world is on the leading edge of um, you know, looking to future innovative solutions. And we see that uh, the world is prepared to move in different directions, digital currencies, uh, renewable technologies and energies. So it's certainly something that concerns us at the level of the business community and not just the business community, because when we talk about margins, we have to think about the intellectual capital, because that's what these people represent. These students, these potential uh, losses are what our future should be. And for Trinidad and Tobago to remain successful or to continue to be a beacon in the Caribbean, we need to have these people here. Yeah. But it's, it's, but how do you, because there's so many things, you know, sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming in Trinidad and Tobago. And in terms of all of the things that you think needs fixing, there's so many things that you think need attention. Um, um, of course, crime is a huge one, um, and 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 of course that that is a multifaceted oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Medusa head with many snakes in different directions. And so, how do you start to address that? Of course, we always talk about education, and we talk about you know instilling, um, um, reaching out and recognizing dysfunction at an early age and trying to address it. But I don't think that we do address it. Um, properly no, um no. so you have a because you know the bullies you know the dysfunctional students in any primary school from primary school you see it huh? from yeah. primary school you know and any parent who has children in primary school know that there is one or there are one or two students that they know are dysfunctional that have come from dysfunctional families and who are and i even though i mean i think all families are touched with some level of dysfunctionality let me put that out there <laughs> there is no perfect family but uh, 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 a high level of dysfunctionality 
that that plays out in the school system um and and we don't see i know we have spoken to previous ministers of education on the issue and they talk about you know dealing with issues and school counselors and school guidance officers and blah 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 blah, blah. but i don't know that we're already making any dent um oh, that, and, and that's you just know, you know, Richard, my thoughts on what we see in school today is that the model is outdated. When we look at secondary entrance assessment, when we look at what CXE and CAPE is giving us, we're putting people on track towards traditional professions. However, if you look at models like Singapore, where they have little human, where they have little in the way of natural resources, but more of the human resources, we need to start tailoring people for what we feel our economy needs. And, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but you don't need to be in a traditional lane of uh, professional capacity to be successful. There are many um, trades that where we need carpenters, we need plumbers, we need electricians. And I'll tell you, you know, we when we find a good one, we hang on to them because, you, you know, that's just that's just something we need. Um, mm. It's, it's really a situation where crime and crime has been on the up and crime continues to dominate the conversation when we talk about local investment and that happening more. And we talk about foreign direct investment because when we look at and we're not just talking about petty crime and shoplifting, we're talking about where we sit on the corruption index as a country, because a lot of foreign investors look at that and they look at this thing called the ease of doing business, which isn't getting any easier, despite several attempts from the government to change the culture in the statutory agencies responsible for that. So it's a collective headache that contributes to this entire problem. Is it just simply a matter of leadership? I think that, yes, you want, I, I think that in Trinidad and Tobago, it's a top-down approach because we see the culture of indiscipline. As someone pointed out earlier that we're an indiscipline society, you see it taking place in the parliament, you see it taking place in the Senate, and it does not set a good example for today's children, for the aspirants of tomorrow's leadership, for the culture of the workplace today, when you see that kind of culture predominating, it's it's a vitriolic culture. It's one that where there's a lot of mudslinging, and I think that that needs to change. I think that leadership is all about setting the tone. Where listen, we want to get things done. This is um, we set deadlines. We work towards quantifiable solutions, and you impress upon your people and your administration that these are things that need to take place to, to, to make change because it has to be that you set the example and you set the tone. A, a lot of people well, yeah. have been impoverished. And I just want to make the point that I have not seen a, a, a senator or a minister take a pay cut. And that's something that I, I am willing to say that I have a problem with. I, I, I don't know why they, they aren't sharing any burden of adjustment. Well, I think part, well, of, part of that, part of that, if I may answer that, I think the the people people at the hierarchy of um, the public sector, and I'm calling the government part of the public sector. Sure. Um, I think I think they think they're underpaid, actually, because they haven't yeah, had a price. They, yeah, have, they yeah. haven't they haven't had a salary increase since 2013, I think, or 2014, or something like that. Up 2012, I think. Um, so they yeah, think I, that I, they're I, underpaid. <laughs> So yeah. you may think a pay cut may, may, may optically look good in terms of seeing we are suffering in the adjustment process, but they, but for a lot of them... It... Yeah, Richard, it's not up, and Rajiv, it's not up to a politician to take a pay cut. It, um, they don't have control over that. What a lot of politicians do is, in fact, use the, the salaries to assist a lot of families and, a lot, and assist a lot of charities and so on. So I don't know. I don't know that it's fair to say that people in the parliament and the senate um, should take a pay cut because of but, the but I but I understand Rajiv's point. It may not be. It may not be that 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 the the burden is onerous because they they may be considered underpaid by other standards, other parliaments mm -hmm. around the world. But I think what and Rajiv can correct me if I'm wrong. What the the issue is is that while more burdens are being placed on some sectors in society it doesn't seem like a particular sector is is sharing in that burden in a in a in a proportionate manner is that is that what you're talking about 
You're very correct, Paul, because the perception index is very high. We in Trinidad and Tobago, we have a macro culture and we are looking on very carefully at who is experiencing the burdens. And yes, salaries may not have been adjusted since 2013, but you'll hear a swath of public servants and civil servants say that their salaries have not been adjusted to deal with these inflationary pressures. However, throughout the pandemic, uh, when essential, non-essential, etc., these um the, the actors in the in the government uh, at no point in time have experienced a loss of earnings. So you got you have to understand from where perception sits at the level of society that the yeah. let me throw that question back to you and the supermarket industry because the supermarket industry is is largely dependent on particular markups so that they can make a profit so that they can pay their bills and make a profit. Has the supermarket industry ever? Or will they ever decide, listen, instead of a 20% markup, let me do a 15% so that I don't have to raise the prices. Is that it? Because, because that's what you're asking the politicians to do, aren't you? No, well, Wendell, Wendell I, I'm going to make a very simple point here. If you're a business, and yes, yes the, some operations can afford to, but the average businessman in this country, and I say the average businessman, has bills to pay. They have mortgages to pay. If you have those things, and then you need to know what your cost of operation is. And because it's not really about profits, you know, when you are the shareholder of a business, the last person to get paid is yourself. You have the obligations to pay all your debtors first, including the banks. And I want to point out that the banks, whether the price goes up, the price goes down, they are the ones that make the most from any spread. And they are, they are the first to whom our obligations come due. Right. Well, now the issue of margins and markups is really a cost of covering business. If I have 100 employees, they have to get paid. If I have state um, st and statutory bodies like OSH, um, health, um, all these things that, that, that come at a cost, I need to pay those bills. And, and that is what people not seeing, that it is a collective um, um, you know, that, that we have to service first. So it's not really about our margins and markups, the reality is everything across the world has just become more expensive. We are talking yeah. about this against the backdrop of an invasion, a war that is the biggest armed conflict since World War II that, that has threatened the global food supply. We're talking about Russia and Ukraine. We're talking about 30% of wheat. We're talking about 25% of the world supply of corn. We're talking about key inputs into the supply chain when we talk about um, uh, uh, about 50% of the world's basic products. So we could talk about our problems here, but what they do, what that war has done, has thrown a microscope on our issues. The lack of agriculture, the lack of the, the, ability, the food security, the ability to feed ourselves, which is why we're in this import... Um, 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 crisis where we're looking for the foreign exchange, where we're looking for the best goods at the best prices to make sure that we could still nutritionally service the people of Trinidad and Tobago, and uh, uh, as well as you know the the social tensions that come with it. So I'm glad you mentioned that, Rajiv, because there, there's an economist I forget which one who made a comment about that statement that the import bills are getting higher. Uh, the foreign exchange crunch is impacting the local merchants, the retailers, etc. And the question was asked, because it has been asked before, how much of that import bill is really necessary? How much of that import bill is basic food items that we need? Has there been a disaggregation of the luxury items that we're importing as part of that $5 billion, is it annual or monthly? I forget after a while. That we're importing consistently that is vital i'm not saying in a free market yes people have the right to import high-end goods and basic stuff but we keep lumping them together as if they are all basic food items that are necessary to contribute to that entire food import bill you're, you're very correct in that when you consider the import bill, what really, and I, I think a, a further examination of the diets of what we consider to be essential, because some people will tell you that these things are essential, but in reality, it's not, right? So what ended up on the luxury list is what was considered to be, uh, from uh, a luxury standpoint, not like, like when we think about steak, we think about shellfish and prawns. Um, and the 
the the berries etc so when i what this situation really has forced us paul into a corner is to look at internally our food security because now we have to consider that we have a situation where we need to look at those at our own land space where we have those acres that are set aside for a day like today and we have to find solutions to increase agriculture i believe the economist you're talking about is dr hussein he's a big advocate of um, the seedlings and uh kitchen gardens and we also assist the shaw foundation in that regard but that's one aspect of it the other aspect of it is and, and i think mrs nunez to share who's our guest a couple of weeks ago said that there's nothing wrong with merchants deciding we want to import, for example, a high-end whiskey into the country. But it should not be on the same tier as something like rice or milk that we need, that we, that we can't we can't grow all our food here. And it sh there should be a tiered system for people who want that sort of stuff and who feel they can afford it to pay more. Well, that's part of the demand and supply equation. And that's, that's a very sensitive... Um, you know topic when you when you get into that space uh gentlemen that you find that when the government starts to get involved with what's really essential and non-essential you have that ability to distort the market and create further distortions but with the when we talk about the ability to feed ourselves right we there there are some basics that are very certain right we talk about wheat we talk about corn, we talk about um, those basic inputs into manufacturing and food production that we consider essential uh, when we consider rice, sugar, flour, oil, um, that that is what we need to be thinking about. Uh, interestingly enough, the, the Russian-Ukrainian economies account for 50% of the world's commercial frying oil. Now that's a big problem when we consider that the soya bean and the rapeseed oil is not being um, put out. So what, is that, what does that mean for the rest of the world? It means that other countries that are producing now have to find a way to ramp up their productivity. Countries that were not producing altogether are considering getting into the space of production, which is what I strongly suggest we consider here in terms of agriculture, agro-processing, and, and manufacturing when we think about the future. Because the short-term solutions, guys, is to pump more foreign exchange into the system over the next year, which they've already said, yes, we're going to make that available via the Exim Bank. There's going to be US dollars available for the critical items list, which has been covered in some detail. And but what where does that carry us beyond the next year so we have to find solutions because cycle of production takes time it takes time to plant land it takes time to reap the products it takes time to get it into the manufacturing system and we consider that fertilizers because russia and ukraine is such a a big fallout the potash and ammonia supply from these economies are huge right now fertilizer goes up it's a low um it's a low input into the final cost of production for a single product but across the board that's a huge increase because we've already seen it with the egg farmers we've already seen it with some of the poultry farmers so there's increasing concern about where this situation goes because we thought the russian invasion was surreal but i think we're at the head of three months right now so it really depends how long does this last yeah. you know i i'm hearing you i'm rajiv and in terms of all of these issues and these are not new issues in terms of the conversation space in Trinidad and Tobago. The issue of agriculture, the issue of food security, these are these are issues that crop up from time to time, sometimes more height, sometimes at a low level, but it's always there, somewhere circulating in the background. And our ability to translate into action in many things, of course, is wanting. I mean, I mean, I mean you mentioned flour, sugar, and oil. Of course, three things that are not necessarily that great for you in terms of diet, but we consider them essential. It's a lot, and, and you see that our obesity rate is at, we are at a pretty high level in the Western Hemisphere, in the top five, Sydney, and yet we don't do anything about it. Right. So the governments, we governments will say, yes, let's make flour, oil, and sugar cheaper, as cheap as it could be. Because right. so, we want so more obese people. Because it's it, 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 it's like this never-ending wheel of chaotic madness that governs Trinidad and Tobago in a kind of way <laughs> that, that so, interconnects so in I keeping us... 
I hear you loud and clear. That's a two-pronged problem, right? So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll de- so the thing about it is that these non-communicable diseases that we talk about where high blood pressure is concerned, where obesity is concerned, these are big problems for Trinidad and Tobago because we have a population that is now relying heavily on CDAP, and that's more pressures on an administration that has to provide for these ill persons. Um, so how do we treat with that? I've seen the Ministry of Health try to treat with it, but from a consumer standpoint, when we consider flour, oil, and sugar. Now, I, I think I've had this conversation with you guys before, the, the alternatives with flour, there are good alternatives, healthier alternatives that could um, lead to less of these morbidities that we consider non-NCDs. But if you tell a consumer cassava flour, potato flour, almond flour, Edo's flour, even um, they do they they aren't as receptive to it as the mainstream flour that's in production, and that's something that is perhaps not um, that that there hasn't been enough of a health focus to make a real shift because it's up to the consumer to really push these things at the forefront. I, I agree with you. And I agree with you, and, and but but a lot of the uh, eating healthy in Trinidad and Tobago is not cheap. No, eating healthy, no. in fact, is more expensive than eating in no. an unhealthy manner. Our, all of our drive, <laughs> even in terms of price points, in terms of taxes, are about us eating unhealthily, and there are consequences that that feed out of that, including the ridiculously high death rate that we have had out of COVID. All of that is an interconnected thing that if you look at it logically, you you could see where it all leads. But yet, we continue to have policies that don't address those issues. I am less concerned with a government taking a pay cut than a government being innovative in terms of our economy and a government that's being optimistic and driving hope forward in terms of where Trinidad and Tobago is going. And, make, a government... and making progress in, in ease of doing business in these indices. That... Exactly. That's more important on a certain level because it, it, it attacks the issue of making sure the society becomes more equitable and lifting everybody up together the more prosperous the wider the, the, the larger your middle class the better for any country i 100 agree with you richard I, I i i think that people need that message of hope and optimism because regardless of if we're going and if we're if the world is at war right now we need a message of hope in the in this eye in this twin island nation and in the caribbean we need to have some form of um you know, equity and leadership, as you say, innovation is the way forward, because I think that's the message. When we consider all the issues we've discussed this morning from young people come forward, I think that really gives the, the hope. And uh, we want to see some of that optimism trickling down to all, all, all aspects of the state, because that will translate into something that's more fluid for today's um, citizens. Is the association yeah. monitoring since, since the, the raising fuel prices? Is the association monitoring since the raise of fuel prices the 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 possible commensurate raising prices at the on the shelves? Well, it's week one of back to school, uh, Paul, and it's week one of uh, a situation where we've seen a. a for, for me, at least, um, more people than ever, more cars in bumper-to-bumper traffic morning and afternoon. And it's been, um, we. I, I think that what suppliers and even supermarkets are looking at and the average business is like, what does this mean when we think about how this is for a sales environment? Because I've still seen a lot of food courts are very slow. I've seen, I've seen that even though there's a lot of traffic, doesn't necessarily mean a lot. Um, so we have to remember that these parents and that the economy where it is right now. So what you're going to see is a holding pattern for a period. However, we have received some notarized price increases by suppliers. I received one from Chief Brand Products yesterday saying that they would be raising from the 1st of May. Um, so we have we, we are still getting them. And it's a situation where um, when you consider that the fuel prices, what that means to their bottom line, the assessments made by some of these suppliers, I believe that they can actually absorb some of it. So I think that that's something we're going to have to look at because when you have goods leaving the port to get to the warehouses and then to the retailers, depending on the fleet management of some of these um, AAA companies, we'll see what, what, what can be done. 
Yeah. Wendell has a question. Wendell. Wendell. Yeah. I, yeah. Rajiv, let me ask you a political question, right? Um, because not for the first time you spoke about leadership and we need inspiration and so on, right? Do you think that that can come from the current group of leaders that we have? Do you think that they can change or do you believe we need new leaders entirely? And, and based on the leaders, people who are offering themselves for leaders, do you think it can come from them? So I will just give you my opinion on what has been, I, I mean, listen, every day I, 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 I sit down with some of my customers and we have these, uh, what we like to call um, pan shites. We sit down on the pallets in the back room and we might talk a little bit and we get the perspectives. Um, we do have leaders that have been there for a period of time. And I think that when you've been there for a period of time and that the results have not been what has been expected. And I think that it's a little bit unfair when we consider that some of the leaders have had to go had a pandemic and they've had the challenges. But I think certainly that we could benefit from a change in leadership. I think that young leaders are something that's, that's, is being embraced. I, I look at what happened with the message in Tobago for Fali Augustine and how um, the people of Tobago embrace that. I'm not sure what that means to Trinidad and Tobago. I, I, I am the first one to recognize we're a polarized society when it comes to politics, Wendell. Um, and, I, and you know, like you, I, I think what you really want for the country is the best people in the best positions um, to, be, to, to give you that sense of confidence. Because when you have that sense of confidence, it's easier for a businessman to say, okay, I'm going to make a decision um, to make an investment that I now need to be here for the next five years because that man or that woman or that is, is, is in a leadership position. And I could feel a little bit confident because it drives a positive feeling in many aspects and sectors throughout the nation. But Rajiv, I don't, know, I, I I don't know, know that our society functions on the best people being in the best positions, you know. I don't think that that's our mindset, even on a political level. Oh, um, no, I think no, our no, politics no. is driven by, by other things and not that le not the meritocracy that you're talking about. Oh, no, not at all. I'm not, I'm not pushing a meritocracy because you see, what you see, Richard, the nature of politics is that any person can offer themselves up for office. That's, that, that's, the, that's the nature of a politician. Yes, but, but they can offer themselves up for office. Politicians or leaders don't fall out of the sky. We no. have a particular system where we have two main parties. We have other smaller parties Correct. that indoctrinate new people who become subsumed into what is the, the status quo. So when we get the so-called new politicians, they are trained in a particular way, done a particular pipeline. So 10 years from now, all we get is more of the same through indoctrination. One of the is can be, oh my God, we're going to vote for him. He's new, the new prime minister with a new yeah. mindset. No, it doesn't happen that way in our country. And, and that's the system, Paul. You, you, you've, you've encapsulated it because by the time these people have gone through the rite of passage and being subsumed into the system, they've already become an incarnation of what was their previous and being mm -hmm. manipulated by the same forces Richard spoke about earlier that are not necessarily the forces that are at the forefront driving the decision making like the policy. Into a religious conversation with the forces that be. So let's let's let that one go. No, you know it's 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 you know Trinidad is a small space, and and we have been fortunate in terms of a, a lot of the resources that we have had that had nothing to do with us. We, we, it had a lot to do with us and how we monetized it over 100 plus years. Um, but we, need, we, we should be in a better place than where we are. We should be. And you have so many external forces working against small states. And it is frustrating to see the level of vitriol between the opposition and the government. And in terms of saying, look, we are in a world that is very unstable or that there are a lot of unstable forces. There are so many things from COVID to that, the war of Russia and Ukraine. And it and, and, and no more po no point in our night since we got independent in 1962 has it been more important 
for us to have a united front but and a united pandemic can bring us together. Vision. A pandemic actually exactly. got us more, more vitriolic. For a, un, for a yeah. united vision and getting Trinidad and Tobago to be the best that it can be. Because I don't think that the policies in terms of, or the economic policies of the, the UNC and the PNM are that different, eh? or that, that there's this big, huge gulf between them. I don't think so. No, and, and equally, and equally, they are both not, um, they don't have, they both equally don't have a lot of innovative and energized thinking and thinking out of the box in transforming Trinidad and Tobago. Um, that's also a, a criticism I would give both of them. So how do we get to that space? How do we get to that kind of conversation but, but with the leadership? About, because it's the leadership spoke, that we have. You spoke about innovative thinking and thinking out of the box. Haven't you realized that anyone in either of those parties who offers a different perspective, who says, you know what, we, this, this direction we're going on is not the right direction. They, they, they uh, appointed Dr. Terence Farrell, who is, from most people's thinking, one of the more brilliant economists in the region, to, to head the, the, the council, whatever, it, I forget what his name is, and he just got frustrated and left. When there is a different perspective proffered that is not in alignment with whatever is driving the policy and decision-making, the person gets ignored or chastised or alienated. Don't you realize that's a history? And I'm trying to think of if there was any other country in the world. There were disagreements in the huge countries about whatever present government there was during the pandemic and their approach. But I'm trying to figure out if there was any other country I saw that there was so much vitriol about the issues related to the pandemic and the management of the pandemic as, as I saw in Trinidad and Tobago. United States. That, yeah, but that was from Trump. That was, and Trump wasn't the, the yeah, Republican but, but, Party. But that's their politics. That was yeah, their but, politics. Yeah, but I didn't see it from the Republican Party in as vitriolic a way. I saw it from Trump. Nobody Republic Trump left. And the divisions and how, how the Republicans um saw the, the pandemic and the narrative that still continues, even yeah. to this day, has been very vitriolic. Before. It's worse, I think, than Trinidad and Tobago. Because they were arguing and getting death threats on the issue of children wearing masks in schools. Let's not forget the incident at Capitol Hill where the Republicans. Yeah, um, so they they were they are by I think they were the king of vitriol in terms of how and because of how polarized their politics has become, which we mirror on a microcosmic microcosmic level next to them because they're so huge. But it's a kind of parallel mirror because they're very polarized in their politics, and we are also polarized in our politics. Yeah. A lot of other but countries are polarized, polarized in their politics too, quite frankly. But we are polarized. But but, but yeah, yeah. We, well, we are polarized. Whatever our dynamics, um, the, um, some people will say that the, the the polarization of the politics in the United States is also along racial lines. Um, that race is part of it. But, but what I'm saying is that we are, the, the United States has the luxury of being the largest economy in the world in terms of navigating whatever their politics, political problems are. We, however, are a small state where a lot of the people who are in the corridors of power sometimes went to school together or know each other outside of the politics. Yeah. In a very tangible way, because we are a smaller space. And in a smaller space, you have to look at what the advantages are of being in a smaller space and utilize those advantages to maximize your survivability and sustainability in an increasingly, you know, difficult planet. And you can only do that with a certain level of unity of purpose. And you don't see it. And it is frustrating, I think, from, from if not the majority of Trinidadians and Tobagonians, I think are frustrated with the politics being a solution in terms of um, enhancing our quality of life. And it should be hmm. an enabler or providing the avenues and opportunities for people's quality of life to lift and, and, and how organized and productive we are as a society. But whoever is in power seems to be feeling miserably 
since 1962. Rajiv, what can we expect in the next couple of weeks? Mm. What do you think from your perspective? I think the next couple of weeks, and I agree with you, Richard, before I get into it, I think that leadership sets the tone for the individual to be empowered to act, uh, you know, at the level of party politics, you need to be able to have a strong team that you have faith in that can deliver on the mandates that are given to them and that there should be some more purpose of acting together. However, the world as it is right now is a crazy place as we're seeing in Europe, as we're seeing around the world. And let's not forget that there are many other conflicts in many other countries taking place simultaneously. So it's certainly not good um, in that regard from a leadership perspective. In the next couple of weeks, we've seen that the situation isn't showing no signs of abating. I think that when we consider where Trinidad and Tobago is right now, and I think it's important to couch this in perspective that things are relatively good in Trinidad and Tobago when you compare it to other territories. And these are conversations I would have had with suppliers of goods, as well as other actors in the business community. And you consider that our shells have not run dry. We've been able to ensure that import substitution has been effective so that where customers may have missed some uh, brands of goods that, that has been replaced, uh, where we see that, yes, the food prices are going up. We're also working with um, actors in the school feeding program to work on a nutritional food basket to make sure that there's a certain price point available for the customers. Uh, we're working on several, you know, strategies to try for consumers to maximize their, their dollar. But it's, it's a situation that we are all feeling the pinch right now. And it's something that I think will linger moving forward throughout the rest of the year, frankly, because the, for the situation to get better, guys, this war in Europe needs to stop the situation in china needs to get better because some of the supply chain constraints are originating directly from there with what's going on at their ports right now and we are reacting as an import dependent nation to these externalities so a lot of what takes place i i can appreciate the average consumer does not uh, will not appreciate because it's something that they come into the store and they see the price go up in a week or two. And uh, I, I have to say that this has been the most abnormal year on record. I thought 2020 was bad. I thought 21 was worse, but it doesn't seem to be getting any better right any now. Any better. And, and you're right, because when I go to the supermarket, because I, I am generally, generally will go to supermarkets from time to time, and there are certain products I will buy. And every time, and, and over the last couple of months, every time I've gone back, those those products have gone up in price. I mean, yep. a couple dollars, a couple dollars, mm -hmm. and it's like, what the hell is going on? So, what you're saying, Rajiv, is that we, we can't expect any improvement in the short term at this point. No, uh, so no. Uh, uh, what, you remember that this is a supply and demand situation. So that where the goods, remember that there are other other countries, other territories vying for the same goods that are now shorting because we've had a situation where we're where we let, let's call it we're exiting COVID, and i say that quote unquote because COVID is still a thing and that we have these situations where factories and manufacturing entities have to get back to levels of production pre-covid and they have not been able to hit those heights as yet and there's been a lot of reasons for that besides um their own challenges with COVID, they now have this war to deal with and i go back to this war because we're talking about inputs we're talking about wheat we're talking about corn and let's not forget that 2020 and 2021 has seen some of the most adverse weather conditions affecting north america latin america and europe with some severe drought claiming entire fields of production so we've had situations right now where even the north americans themselves are saying we're not going to do biodiesel anymore because we need that corn to feed ourselves so where um it's it's a level of triage for several economies right now to really identify how is it that we improve our own food security which takes us back to the narrative of uh, do we increase, do we put a focus back on agriculture inside Trinidad and Tobago? Maybe do we look at some level of processing inside of Trinidad and Tobago? What can we do on a local scale to improve our own odds against uh, hedging against these price increases? Oh, if you ever needed a replicator, now you needed it. <laughs> <laughs> you should go. <talk. laughs> 
All right. Um, Rajiv Dipti, I want to thank you so much for being on the Power Breakfast Show this morning. Um, all the best and be safe. And let's keep those prices down. Oh, gentlemen. Rajiv, yes, I, have, I have a question. Any, any, you, do you have any political ambitions? Gentlemen, I leave you. And, and, I, and I want to say to Trinidad and Tobago. He didn't say no. He didn't say no, huh? Eh? That's a correct answer, Rajiv. That's a nice political answer. Okay, guys. Have a good weekend, Trinidad and Tobago. All right. All the best, you, Rajiv. Be safe. But, but you know what's interesting? Thank you. That, that the, the political system doesn't seem to enable people like Rajiv. And there's so many people with that kind of mindset. Uh, who who yeah. clearly are about Trinidad and Tobago and not about political allegiance and about sober thought and examination of the issues facing it. But the political system that we've created here that has evolved doesn't seem to include them. Or if, or if it does for a short while, like Dr. Terence Farrell, it just frustrates them and spits them out after a while. Yeah, you see, yeah. politics, politics as, politics, as they say, has this morality of its own. That, that is a statement that keeps being repeated that is not true. Silence is a virtue. Let's get into our 8 o'clock news brief. We're a little late. Um, but Evie and myself are playing morning, a game Mrs. here. Bob. Good morning, Mrs. Bob. Good morning, Mr. Richards. How are you, my dear? I'm good, thank you. And yourself? I'm good. Did you have your coffee this morning? Yes, I did, Mr. Richards. Did you drink your water? I've not started just yet. Have you? I have uh, not started as well. I understand. You are on a moment alone. <laughs> we will. We will in an hour and a half. But right now we, we need to connect. Yes, it's important that we do that early in the morning time. That's right. Remember, we had a little. We we were separated for a while, but now we're back together. There you go. It feels. So I was your good. daughter? Oh, she's better than me. Thank you. She has absolutely Amen. no bills to pay. <laughs> well, you you and your husband brought her here so you will pay the bills for the foreseeable future yes and i realize that for the foreseeable future <laughs> very well news is next you sure <laughs> you sure about that paul thank you for choosing power the two digital listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m remember like share and subscribe power 102 digital